Let's pray. I'm kind of homesick, Lord, for that country. My deep is definitely calling for that deep. And your prophet turns around and said, then there must be a deep to respond. So what a great day that will be, Lord. To go to married land, a land to be with you, our husband, our bridegroom and friend. We love you. Pray, God, that your blessing be upon every person, every son and daughter of God that has joined with us and will join. Those that are at home with their families, Lord, and the high priests of the home are there with their wives and their children. I pray you'll draw nigh to each and every one and may, Lord, this little service be a strength and a blessing to each and every one. We've heard some tremendous word over these last months, Lord. Been separated, but yet they're still united under the banner of love. So, Lord, I'm asking that you'll bless your children as we go to the Word, and that you'll take the Word and pen it within our hearts, and it will be as eternal as you are, for your Word is eternal. Bless now the service, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, without any further delay, thank you, musicians. Thank you. God bless you all. If you've got your Bibles, I'd like you to turn, please, to uh, Scripture in Numbers, chapter 13. Brothers have already asked for a title, and so I'm going to speak on a very simple title. Land, land, land. Land, land, land. And one thing about Satan, as we go to the Bible, one thing about Laodicea, Satan tries to make it so that, so palatable that we want to stay here. And the Bible says that Laodicea will be rich and increased with goods, and yes, indeed it is. And we, we live, as I've said before, greater than sultans and kings of, of the past. And yet there's, not, there's nothing that is here that has a draw. There's nothing here that we want to stay here for. And we have a hope and a promise of another land. And so out of a message called Exodus, Brother Bram said there's another Exodus to take place. And that's the Exodus that we're looking at. So we'll take a look at a little bit of type shadows, a little bit into the Old Testament and into the New and I just trust that if anybody has been enamored by Laodicea, that you've been um, knocked around a bit by this COVID. And whatever this economy is trying to do to destroy families and lives, and that's what Satan's here to do. But he cannot destroy the family of God. So let's turn to Lembers chapter 13 with this in mind. And we know that the children of Israel were promised a new land. And in, in the first verse, it says, The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Send thou men, that they may search the land of Canaan, which I give unto the children of Israel. 
So the land of Israel was a gift from God. God owns the land. And now he was giving a portion of this land to the children of Israel. He says, I give unto the children of Israel of every tribe of their fathers. Shall ye send a man and every one a ruler among them? And Moses, by commandment of the Lord, sent them from the wilderness of Paran. All those men were heads of the children of Israel. And these were their names of the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zachar. And it goes and starts listing each one of these names. And I know for a personal study, if you'd like to do that, which I have, and I won't take the time, is to find the definition of each one of these princes' names, these heads of the tribes. And it, and it absolutely blows your mind of the name that God or their families had given them regarding God. One means salvation. and One means God has judged. And one means my God is a deliverer. And the other one means that he's a God of my fortune. And he's a God of my fortitude and strength. And it goes on and on and on. And then it comes to Caleb. And we've looked at that before. And we've looked at Caleb. And of course, there's many today that look at the definition of Caleb as a dog. Now, does that make sense? That does not make sense. Every one of these princes were given names. My God is salvation. My God is my fortress. My God is my, is my strength. My God is my deliverer. It would not make sense that 11 of them had such high names. And Caleb's meant dog. I think they need to look at it a little deeper and find out that Caleb's name does not mean that. In the Hebrew, and you start looking at the, at the breakdown of the name Caleb, and it actually means wholehearted. Caleb's whole heart was a heart for God. And so then we have these 11 that went into the land, but there was only one that had a whole heart for that land. And as we find out in, in verse 18 and and now, now the, Moses said to them in verse 17, I'm sorry, to spy out the land of Canaan, say unto them, get ye up into the way southward and go up to the mountain. And now you'll see this word land repeated. And you shall see the land, what it is, and the people that dwell therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. And verse 19, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be strong or weak. Verse 20, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, and whether there be wood therein or not. And be of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was that time of the first fruit grapes. May the Lord add his blessing to his word. You may have your seats. As you have noticed and followed along, the emphasis was on the land. When you see the land, give me a description of that land. Is it fat? Is it plentiful? Is it strong? 
Is it weak? We look into that land and we find out that it was already described as a land flowing with milk and honey. But we find out not everybody wants or desires or yearns for that land. And as time goes on and and time weathers a lot of people, it distracts them. And as time goes on, that land seems a little bit far away or maybe not as rich as what it should have been or why aren't we there yet? But saints of God, whether or not it's today or tomorrow or 1975 or 2020, it does not matter. As the children were promised and given that land. God has given us another land called the land of the Holy Ghost. And in that land, it's rich. It's plentiful. And can I say that in that land, it will meet every one of your needs. It won't fall short. I read a quote this week, and I, I've had it going over in my mind. And, and I'd like to read it this morning. And It's a quote where Brother Bram said, Now, there was a voice that was crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the, and make the path straight. He said, John, what was he doing? He was preparing the people for the word. And that word was to be made manifest. He said, don't you see it in shadows? Stop here a moment. In the last days, there's got to be a place. There has to be a land prepared for the word. To me made manifest. And now we're living by the evidence of that new land. Amen. The son of man. We're living in the evidences of that new land. Called the son of man. And a lot of times when we uh, actually start to preach on the son of man. It's so often people glaze over because they themselves haven't had a relationship with the Son of Man himself. And I want you to know that in this land and the evidence that we've lived in this land is rich, it's powerful, it's meaningful, it's strong. It's a land, saints of God, where you don't need two men To carry grapes to give you evidences. You can look around and see the power of God of that son of man. And evidence of that land. That has delivered men and women with a mighty hand. And has brought them into. A land. Called the Holy Spirit. This is a land of great value. A lot of people today, I don't know how many churches there are into the tens of thousands. They're more interested in maybe program, entertainment, 
whatever whatever the fancy is at the people or the menu of the day that is attracting the people. But my attraction is for Jesus Christ and in that land of Christ is what my soul longs for. Moses said, spy out the land. What kind of people are in that land? Is it a good or bad land? Is it fat or is it lean? And I believe we've gone along on this journey enough to say it's a good land. It's a fat land. It's worthy of going to that land. And if I would say to you this morning, come and go with me to this land. You know what today's values, land is very expensive. Very expensive. It's so expensive today that young couples will, outside of parents helping them achieve or purchase or buy a land, they will never obtain to it. I was driving by my mom and dad's property not long ago and I looked at that little farmer's field that dad bought the property from. It's down the road here on 192nd and 60th. And I believe it was an acre and a half, just over. He bought that land for $1,500. And you say, oh, to have lived in those days where I could buy a piece of land for $1,500. But you have to remember they're only making a dollar fifty. But it was a value that was attainable. It was value. Now that same piece of land, you try and buy it for a million and a half, I'd be very surprised. So we see land has increased with value. And as we look into one another's faces, if you can, and will do over the, the weeks and months of one another, there's a land sitting in each one of your pews. And you're more valuable now. As time has gone on, the value that you hold is of more value. And you wonder why we go through the efforts and the striving and the prayer is because we know the value of this land. The value that you yourself are worth. And the value where God wants to bring you into a new land. Brother Branham says here, he says, we're pilgrims. And thanks of God, listen. You know, they say, well, what is the, it's so negative. This is so negative. I, I'm in contact with a lot of people. I, I try and contact on the phone, visitation, to see how each one's doing. And I want to say to you over these last, Brother John said 11 weeks, are we going into the 12th week? I don't know. But I have not personally heard one complaint.
The only complaint is that we can't fellowship one with another. This world is becoming very clear. If you're enamored by Laodicea, you need a born-again experience. There is no enamorment that wants me to stay in this land. So Brother Branham says here, but we are pilgrims then and strangers. And we're seeking a city. We're seeking a new land. A city that is to come. Stay focused. We need to stay focused. It's not who's dying around us. It's not whether the economy is good or bad. That is not what we're here for. We are the last runners of the race. And we are going to run this race with our head high. And others have run well. And we are going to finish this race very well. We are seeking a city. That's the reason. Are you? Li- I want you to listen now. That is the reason one American is different from another. Just want, I just want to start building now a foundation. We're pilgrims, we're strangers, we're seeking a city, we're seeking a new land. That's the reason one American is different than the other. Or can I say one Canadian is different than the other? Why? Because one is born from below and one is born from above. Our spirits have been born from above. And in that land where we come from, are you listening? That land where we come from, the nature and the habits of that land is holiness, cleanliness, godliness. That's that land. Those are attributes of that land that you've been born from above. And if the spirit of that land moves into us, then this land becomes very strange. Because your soul and your spirit motivates you. And that's what makes you act the way you act. It's because you have been born from above. There's a spirit of another kingdom in you. There's a spirit of another kingdom in you. So this kingdom actually comes against this natural kingdom. The spirit of another kingdom's in you. Your kingdom is from above. And that's why Jesus said, if this world was my kingdom, the people would fight for it. But my kingdom is from above. If we're Christians, oh, he says, an American will act like an American. He said, a German will act like a German. Because that's their national spirit. Canadians will act like Canadians. Swiss will act like Swiss. France, French will act like they're French. 
but we're of another spirit. That's their national spirit. We have a national spirit. That's called the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that comes from God out of heaven makes you act the way you act. And that's why you, you look at, as, as life goes on and you look at people and they act certain ways and with their certain standards of the word, they're not living. Really, if you're born by the word of God, it's no longer you that lives, but it's Christ in you living. You are living, living as citizens of a kingdom. It's not trying to act Canadian or trying to act American or German. It does not matter. That's a national spirit. But we're from another kingdom. Amen. He says where you'll act holiness, cleanliness, godliness. You're born from above. I run into, as I travel around the world and different nations that we come to and speak at, you'll find out that that national spirit is not too far from that brother. I will stop right there. I think you get my point. We don't do that here. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what I, but I know what they do in heaven. <laughs> you might not do that here, but we do it in the Bible. We go by where the kingdom that dwells in you. Now listen now. This, we're living in America, or we're living in Canada. I want you to get this, Brother Louis. We're living here, but he says that is your body part. That's your body part. <laughs> That's this terra firma. We live here. We live in America. That's the body part. But the soul that conducts us, our character is from above. We live from above because we were born from above. So I'm just trying to lay a foundation to you. Saying this is totally a whole new way of life. Because it's a whole new kingdom. He says, now that you live in this realm or this country that you live in, that's your body part. But the soul that conducts us is from above. All Christians come from above. Jesus said, I'm not from below. I'm from above. And if I were from below, my subject would fight for me. My kingdom is from above. Are you getting the point? My kingdom is from above. And so every man that's born of the kingdom of God is from above. We live that kingdom. And there's something in us saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in this earth though i'm in canada america germany france my flesh might be a part of this but my spirit my soul comes from above he's from above now 
he goes on to say, and let me finish this quote, please. We look for that kingdom not just for a gold crown set on our head. It's something beyond that. Paul got a glimpse of it one time. He said, I have not seen, ear have not heard, neither hath it entered the hearts of men what God has for them in store that love him. Not a golden crown. That wouldn't mean much to me. I don't care about those things anyhow. My crown is a new body. My crown, Brother Bram said, is my new body, is a new being. Crowned in his likeness. A body like unto his own glorious body where I can just live with him. That's a crown enough for us. And I say, Amen. That's a crown enough for us. I'm living for that land. I trust you are too. As the pastor has so often said over the years, watch those last messages Brother Brandon preached. Just watch how he lays out and preaches a series of meetings and ends off things that are to be. Rapture, leadership. He's trying to lead us into another land. And so then he takes out of things that are to be, let not your heart be troubled. You've believed in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house. And we know, Brother Bram says, he breaks that down. He says, it's not house, house. He says, in my Father's house is many mansions. He says, it's a kingdom. It's a land. In my Father's kingdom. In his great economy. There are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. Brother Bram said that one place, he said, this is normally read at a funeral message, uh, at a funeral. To have a message, but this has nothing to do with death. This has everything to do with life. He's gone to prepare a place for you. So then in Satan's Eden, and this is where I'd like to spend a little while. So in my father's house, or in my father's kingdom, or in this land, in his economy, Brother Branham says, in God's economy in Satan's Eden, in my father's plans, there is many palaces. I go to prepare a place. Look how long it is. He says, now he starts to describe the city, 1,500 miles. He's not enamored by the gold crown. He'd rather be crowned in his likeness. Gold that we seek in this kingdom has no meaning because we find out when we get to that city, it's pavement. Jewels don't have any value because the city to that gate hangs on pearls. 
We look for another kingdom. It has different values. It's a different economy than Satan's economy. And look how Satan has the people running in this kind of economy. And I hate the sticker, bumper sticker, but I remember it was, it just indelibly imprinted in my mind. It was on a humongous motorhome as it drove by me. The boy that dies with most toys wins. And that motorhome come women by. There was a car tied onto the tailgate. They had a boat on top of the motorhome. They had whatever. Oh, sorry, Brother Glenn. I mean, I'll look over here and preach, okay? But how disgraceful. And in Satan's economy, they put such value to things that will rot and decay. And we must have, we must have this, we must have that. And people run for it. People kill for it. People steal for it. And it's such a false economy. But in God's economy, it has a city that's 1,500 miles square. He's the creator. And he creates it all. The streets are transparent gold. He's my creator. He's making a place. As Revelation 21 said, And I, John, saw a new city coming down. Descending from God out of heaven. Just think. He goes on to say, there's no more sea. So the whole earth is Eden. (laughs) What a land. Is it fat or is it lean? Can I tell you this morning? It's fat. Is it worth going to? Absolutely. God gave them that land. God has given you this land. But brother Tom, I go through so many trials. It's just a giant. To Caleb, it's just bread. They're just bread for us. Because he knew that his God was greater than any giant or any trial. He said, I saw a new city coming down from God out of heaven. He said, it'll be an earth that's renovated. Every germ will be burned off. It will be a new place. He said, let us strive hard and don't be deceived in this day. Strive to enter into this gate. For all that will be left are whoremongers, lusters. Whosoever looketh upon a woman and lusts after her has committed adultery with her. All that's outside that city. So we look at them then in God's economy or in God's household. He's got a wealth untold. But we have to keep our eyes off of things and put our eyes on him. It's not the things that enamor us. It's him that enamors us. Wealth to God. Do you think gold or silver, jewels or houses? Have any value to God? No value. His value. That God puts great value on. Because in his economy. If you look up the word economy. It means that he loves to distribute his wealth. 
And his wealth is not things. His wealth is himself. We get into an economy that where you want him and not things. You want Christ more than anything. I'm just still laying this foundation. In God's household, he loves to distribute himself. That's why the scripture says all that is in God, he poured into Christ. Or Brother Ramsey, and all that was in Christ, he pours into the church. That is God's wealth. And that is God's economy. And that is our land. He's a distributor of wealth. And it's not an accumulation of things to have. It's an accumulation of more of Him. And thus we sing, more of you. I want more of you. So now you can see now that Satan's economy is to allure the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life on the things of life over the things of God. And people chase after things rather than him. Hmm. It's not now. An accumulation of what to have. But it's accumulation of the life of Christ. You can belong to a lot of things. But to belong to him is everything. So in God's great economy. Which is God's household. It has another Wonderful meaning is that if you are a part of his household, you are then a part of God's family. The word household in the Greek is translated into family. Think about it. God's household is run by Christ himself. And we are members in particular Of that family. We who are the sons of God. Have now been adopted into this family. And as Paul had used the Roman games. Or the the Greek games. And he has had many uh, um, uh, analogies that he has in the Bible. This one analogy of adoption is very special. So thus, if you have been adopted and your adoption into this family is complete, Brother Branham goes on to say that adoption is God showing his approval of the person. Then in the Greek, it goes in to say, in the adoption of that person is their security. So that in Roman law, when one was to be adopted, 
You can never be disowned. And I want you to just put that one into your little script bag. If you have moved into a relationship of adoption in Christ Jesus, you can never, once adopted, ever, ever be disowned. And you wonder, and I'll get into why others don't stay, because they don't come to their adoption. Let's continue on. If you are a part of God's family, you are a son of God. And a son of God in the house of God, you are then a part of God's economy. And a part of God's economy and the heart of our Heavenly Father is to be one who loves to, to distribute His wealth to His children. <laughs> I want more of Jesus. More and more and more. So the love of the Father of the economy of God is to distribute His own personal wealth to his children. Now let's let's go back to Genesis. And then we'll work our way back again. In the book of Genesis and in Eden. God once dwelt with his family. Once dwelt with his family. Then sin came in. And it disrupted the family economy. And sin now, the sin veil came. And man was now moved out of that fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Adam was disfellowshipped outside of the garden. And the only way of approach now was through bloody skins. So God always has wanted... A family. And so the family was broken. And then Brother Bram said, now God wants to make his masterpiece family again. And so now we've come through our seven ages where we come to the end of time. And we find then under Christ the mystery God revealed, God wants to restore Adam, Eve and Eden again. Because his heart is to be a distributor of wealth to his family. To have fellowship with his family. Now you say, well, Brother Tom, this is not a, 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 a preaching type of message. No, it's not. It's one where I'm just going down through uh, subject matter, subject matter. Because once you realize that you are in this economy of God, nothing will shake you. And the only thing you want in this economy is more of him. So now here is Abraham. We've moved from a garden to Abraham. And the Bible goes in, in Genesis 18. If you want to turn to it. It's Genesis 18 and 18. It says. Seeing that Abraham. Shall surely become a great and money nation. And all the nations of the earth. Shall be blessed. Is blessed as in him. For I know him. That he will command his children and his household. 
after him. God loves a family. And that's why Satan has worked so hard in this generation is to destroy families. Because in God's mind, he loves it and Satan hates what God loves. Remember, for I know him. I know Tom. I know Glenn. I know Nathan. I know them. And I've commanded, and he will command his children and his household. Notice I want you to, and that's where I want to, I'd like to get to the token if I can ever get to it. But I want to, I want to get you down this road. Because under the token, the token's family. God had the token for the safety of a family. People might not put value in family anymore, but God puts great value in family. He puts great value in family of God. I've commanded, he will command his children, his household, after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord. That's amazing. I know him. I know he'll do that. I'll know, I know that. Isaac has got to come. But I've commanded Abraham. Because he's going to command his household. So here, we get a window in it. When the Lord asks Abraham, go offer Isaac up on the mountain. Go offer Isaac. Here's a window now for you. Remember, he knew Abraham. And he knew that Abraham would command his children and his household after him. He would show them the way to have communion with the Father. He knew he would teach him how to worship. He would treat, he would uh, teach him how to entreat God. Now I, th- th- you say, well, this is very simple, brother Tom, but this is very important at this time. You say, well, I've been stuck at home. God's got you home for a reason, so that you can be with your family, your household, and God is wanting now us to teach our household, our children. This is how we pray. We pray at night. We get down. This is how we have devotion. This is what we do. Oh. So now here that God commands Abraham to take his son up onto the mountain which he would show him. He takes fire and he puts wood on the child. And as they're going to the mountain... It's the lad that says, Father, something's wrong. We're going to worship. Aren't we going to church? There's something wrong here. Aren't we going to offer something to God? There's something wrong here. We got the fire. We've got the wood. But where's the lamb? He taught him correctly. He commanded his household correctly. He showed him there had to be a lamb. 
And church at Cloverdale Bible Way, we need to show our children there must be a lamb. Revelation 5 better be alive to you. Revelation 10 better be alive to you. The lamb has come forth to take the book. Command your household. Show them how to worship. Get them in church. Get them on their knees. Show them the way, daddy. Well, brother Tom, you're doing real well there until you got excited. Sometimes you need to push a point across. It takes an effort to raise children. I know that. It takes time. I know that. But as I one day walked into a cafe, one Saturday morning as I was studying, I believe I even lived in the house in Cloverdale. I had to go make a deposit at the old Bank of Montreal in Langley, in the old town. I walked by a cafe, Saturday morning, 10.30, 11 o'clock. I went to deposit a check, and I noticed four brothers sitting at a table. And I thought, oh, that's strange. It's Saturday. What would, what would four brothers sitting at a table? They all have children. So I deposited my check, came back. And I walked into the restaurant and all the brothers said, oh, pull up a chair, brother Tom. Pull up a chair. Let's have some fellowship. I said, is that what you brothers are doing? I said, is that what you're doing? I said, don't you have family? Don't you have children? Aren't they the most important thing to you? What are you doing here? They said, well, we're having good fellowship. And I just pointed to a brother across the table. I said, how do you know 10 years from now he's not here? And I said, hey, your children you will always have. None of them are here. But my point is, it's worth teaching your household. It's all right to tell you, Daddy's wrong here. It's all right to tell him. Daddy blew it here. Daddy's not perfect. Daddy'll do better. It's good. We need to command our household. Son, you're not right. Tell him. You say, have you? I did. Did it hurt? Of course it does. But it's worth the struggle. It's worth the pain. And it's worth the hurt. But I love how it says, I know him. God knows us. Or in God knows you. God knows your heart. God knows 10 years from now. God knows if you have children. God knows these things. And I know Abraham. And I trust every one of us could put our names there and say, God, do you know me? Do you really know me? Could you entrust me? That I might command my children. My household. And that I might lead them into worship that Isaac himself said, Daddy, something's wrong here. 
We got the fire. We got the wood. Where's the lamb? God is interested through this despicable time that we're having of separating families from families. Separating churches from church people in churches. And it is indeed despicable. But it has given us much time to spend with our children. Spend with our wives. Spend with our families. And we, in this economy, do not get dictated by COVID-19. We get dictated from our Heavenly Father. Because our kingdom is from above. Our body part is in Canada, is in Cloverdale, is in Linden, or in Ferndale. But my soul comes from above. And we get directed by our Heavenly Father. God is interested. Maybe if you have time, and I I really didn't want to go down this route, but since I'm here, I might as well. First Timothy. First Timothy. Chapter 5. First Timothy chapter 5. I'm sorry, I wrote down the wrong scripture, but it's in Timothy. Let me see if I can find it. First Timothy five. But if any man not provide for his own, especially of his own house, he is worse than an Infidel. Notice how God's directing Paul to write this down to show you how important it is that the father provide for the family, especially of his own house. And if you don't, Paul is saying you're worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. God is interested in his family. So many handouts. So many bailouts. Uh huh. I don't think I'll go to work today because I got a bailout coming. I can make more money on unemployment insurance than I can going to work. Shame on you. Man shall work by the sweat of his brow. If you're out of work, legitimately use it. But don't bleed the system. That was free. God will provide. Can I say that again? 
in God's economy, he has a stimulus package. But it's not like Satan's economy. Because what Satan does, he gives you money out of one pocket and is going to take it out of your other one. He's going to give you one and then he's going to take it from you out of another one. But in God's economy, his stimulation package is free. It's called the stimulation of revelation. And that is how God wants to distribute his wealth. Touch not the oil or the wine. Don't touch it. That's my children's lifeline. Don't touch that. You can do anything you want to them, but you can't touch that lifeline. That stimulus, that stimulation that comes from revelation to know him in that kind of way and that kind of reality to that kind of household. I'm identified in it. Brother Bram said this, to be a Christian, I must be the same. Hallelujah. Yes, sir. If I'm a Christian, then I preach the gospel. I warn on the uncoming judgments with Noah. Yes, sir. I've been a part of it back there. And I was a part of God's economy then. I'm a part of his economy now. God watched over Noah. God watched over you. God watched over Moses. God watches over you. God watches over Daniel. God watches over you. God watched over Jeremiah. God watches over you. God watches over the Hebrew children. God watches over you. God watches over his own in his own economy. He's interested in your well-being. Love. Brother Branham said love is one of the greatest instruments that there is in God's great economy. God is love. The Bible said that he is love. And when you become one of his children, you become a part of that love. You are a part. This is now what he's saying to you. You are a part. Once God's love is in you, the love of God in you. He says, you then are a part of God's economy. You become a subject of his domain. And when you do that, you become a son and daughter of God. Think about it. Have you enjoyed the love of God? Has it filled you? Has it kept you? Has it surrounded you? Has it blessed you? If indeed it is, Brother Bram said, you're a part of God's economy and you're a subject of his domain. When you do that, you become a son and daughter of God. You say, well, I didn't know Brother Bram preached that much on economy. He preaches on God's economy, not Laodicea economy. 
There's only one thing that will satisfy. That's when Christ comes into a man's life. For he's made in the image of God. He made him in the statue of God. And God didn't give you this trip here on earth to be this or the other. But to be a son and daughter of God. He put you on earth to be a son and daughter of God. To be a part of the economy of God. There is no depression in this economy. And do I hear the saints around say amen? There is no recession in God's economy. He only pours it out more and more and more. He pours out his wealth, which is himself. He says, you're not here for any other purpose but to be a son and daughter of God. And there's nothing else that will satisfy. The only thing that will hold our world together. He says, take not our man-made economy, but take God's economy And his way of doing it through the word. Don't work Satan's economy. Work in God's economy. Man's economy crumbles. Where's Rome? Where's Egypt? Where's Greece? These were great economies. Brother Bram said, you go to look for them today, they're 20 feet below the earth. That's where their economy gets them. Young person, Joseph, Orrin, you're youthful, you're young, you're going into a workforce, you're, you're going to be whatever God wants you to be. But do not get caught up, Andrew, in this economy. You get caught up in God's economy and watch God pour out his wealth on you. People say, you don't have much. I said, I might not have much growing up, Orrin. I might not have much. I might not have had a lot of money. I probably didn't. He gave me that greatest present I ever had. At birthday wishes around the world yesterday, and I'm so humbled. I thank you, I thank you, in the depths of my heart. But you work in God's economy. It's a rich young ruler tried to work in this economy. Where to get him? Hell. He worked in that economy. Lazarus didn't work in this economy. It's the beggar. But where did he end up? In God's economy? I'd love to be where he ended up. In the bosom of Abraham. You tell me which one you want to work in. And I'll tell you which one I want to work in. You watch God come behind you in God's economy. You put God first in everything. He'll pour out blessing. And we don't do it for the blessing. But you can't outgive God. You can't. You cannot 
outgive God. Misers, you can't outgive God. That's what he says in infallibility of the word of God. Today we find out in our great economy, in our great civilization that we're living in, many things are being built for popularity. Many houses are put up, a row of slamming them together. Bridges are built. Other things won't stand the test. Cheap material put in them. And so it is with the church. Cheap man-made theology. And people build churches on the economy of religion. But God has come in this generation to build a church in His economy to be like Him. Not cheap material things. Upon man-made theory and doctrines and dogmas instead of God's Word. God's Word declares Jesus Christ is the same. And I would love to hear a resounding Amen. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'd love the church to say Amen. I'd stay in God's economy over Satan's economy. I'd rather have the blessing of God than to rot in the abyss of what Satan dishes out. Can I give a little testimony? And Brother Terry Smouse, I hope you don't mind. Because it's, it's, it's to do with this. It's to do with this. I was preaching a while back. Brother Terry was sitting right up there. Sister Shannon. Shannon and her, Shay. The girls and their family has blessed this church so much. And I looked up there and I said to Brother Terry, I said, Brother Terry, your years of famine are over. And the look on his face, Dad, his look was shock, shock. And I looked at him. I said, your days are a famine are over, Brother Terry. And then I looked at Shaka. I thought he didn't believe me. So I looked at Shay. I said, well, Shay, you can believe for him. They were giving Michael the testimony the other day at the park. He said, when Brother Tom said that to us, we had just talked about it the day before. Said, our famine must be over. It must be over. God is interested in his economy. If he can use a donkey, he can use Tom Ray. It does not matter to me. But an unction comes out and you say, Brother Terry, your days are over. Your famine's over. And if you don't believe it, your wife will. 
And they had just said that the day before. Shay says to her husband, these days of famine got to be over. Terry says, I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there yet. He says, you'll have to believe for me. And God, from that time, the pit that they had been in for years after years after years, he said, God has blessed me. It's been blessing upon blessing. Why? He wasn't serving the economy of man. He put the word first. He said, even to my garden. (laughs) I thought that was funny. He said, even to my garden. We don't grow gardens. I'm going to have Terry have to give that, that, uh, that testimony. He said, even to my garden. He says, my radishes are that big. He said, we're out of our years of famine. And now we're in our years of plenty. It has nothing to do with man. It has everything to do with God. God is always interested in your well-being and your welfare. You are a part of God's economy if you've accepted this fountain of love. Musicians, please come. America, it separated themselves a long time ago from the economy of God. But the bride of Jesus Christ, she has accepted him, she loves him, and he loves her. The enemy in our homes are defeated. Our trials will soon be over. We are going to another land. And that's called the land where God dwells. Beulah land. I'm longing for you. And someday.
gathered around your family. We indeed do not know where Satan's economy is going to eventually wind up. We do not know. But one thing that we do know is God's economy is bright and fair. And he's interested in his family. He's interested in your needs wherever you are this morning. As he would for the smallest family. As he would for you this morning. Maybe you're going through A very hard trial this morning. Maybe this separation is causing you a little distress. Don't let it do that to you. Daughter of God, son of God. In his economy, he wants to distribute his wealth to you. To fill you to overflowing to bless you and to keep you and your family in the center of his precious will so heavenly father would you watch over your sheep of this fool as your prophet said we're not here for any particular reason Outside of being a son and daughter of God birthed into the economy of God. When we were children, Lord, we just wanted a lot of trinkets. We cried when we didn't get it. 
Our parents would tell us, no, you don't need it. But we're children no more, Lord. We're children no more. To say, I want more of you is an understatement. To say, I want more of your unveiled Christ. (laughs) Those words are so inadequate. But I'm praying, God, that the economy that comes down from heaven above would be rich to each and every one of your sons and daughters. That you'll go with them and bless them, overshadow them and surround them. And may the peace of God flood their souls. And may the grace of God uplift them into the very presence of Jesus Christ. So Lord, it's It'd be a little foundation message. I pray that you'll take something, Lord, encourage some soldier along the way, some son of God. We're not stuck in Satan's economy. We're in a different economy. So I'm praying, Lord, your blessing upon each and every one now. As we go our separate way. In Jesus' name. Oh, land. You're all dismissed for His glory. God bless you. And someday,